The government shutdown is affecting around 800,000 federal employees. This is also impacting one of our students, 3O Maggie Haggerty, who joins me from Washington, D.C. while she waits for the SEC to reopen so she complete her residency this semester. You're listening to the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about the law school and apply by visiting law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the guest or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire. All right, so Maggie, you're down in D.C. The government shut down. Uh, what was your goal for this semester down in D.C.? Yes, so I am in D.C. right now, and um, I came down to D.C. to do a legal residency at the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. Um, it's a, a dream position for me. Uh, I had wanted to work at the SEC ever since I wanted to go to law school, basically. <laughs> I went to the law school, you know, with the intention of focusing on securities, law, and regulation, and um, and now I'm here and the doors are locked. So, uh, except for, uh, essential personnel, but unfortunately I am not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the shutdown has, uh, prevented me from starting my legal residency. I was supposed to begin on Monday. Yeah. This is kind of a unique angle on what's going on down there because obviously all the offices are closed. So in turn, anything that's kind of secondary that would take place at these offices is shut down. So there's been issues with the IRS with regards to refunds and for, from an academic standpoint, anything that involves our students going off to do legal residencies are kind of stuck. Yeah, it's interesting because so some agencies are affected by this and other agencies are not. We can get into like the process and then kind of what happened this year with the with the budget. But right right now, 77 percent of the budget bills have been approved for the fiscal year 2019. And um, it's kind of interesting because the fiscal year starts in October for the federal government, which I'm not really sure what the history is behind that. But as of October 1st, they had 77% of the budget figured out and passed and signed by the president. Um, and they kind of did it in like a piecemeal approach. Um, and so now we're just waiting for that 23% to get resolved. Yeah, it's very interesting because even though there's 800,000 employees roughly that are not going to be paid, this is actually going to be released on Friday, being paid today, the military is still operating. There's a lot of agencies. There's a lot of parts of the government are still operating, like the legislature and all of them are still operating. What other kind of essential agencies are you finding are closed? It, I don't have a list in front of me, but um, some agencies are partially open. The Congress passed kind of the majority of the budget back at the end of September. They did it by passing what are called like uh, minibus approaches appropriations bills. And the first one that was passed was called the Energy and Water Legislative Branch and uh, Military Construction and Veteran Affairs Appropriations Act. And so things that, with some exception, things that fall under those subjects are um, not affected. And then uh, a few days after that, they passed the Department of Defense and Labor, Health and Human Services, and Education Appropriations Act. For the most part, things that involve those subjects are not affected by the shutdown. But parts of the Department of Justice, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, various agencies, uh, including the the Department of Agriculture, have been affected. And some of the departments have personnel that are working without pay. And so uh, departments like the TSA, 
uh, have many employees who are working without pay. And, and traditionally, those employees um, will get back pay. Um, but it's not guaranteed. But historically, that has always been the case. So what's it look like for the country with the Securities and Exchange Commission being closed? Because they oversee a lot of very important things when it comes to businesses, the stock market and things like that. That's right. Yeah. Like I said, non-essential personnel can't go to work at the SEC. And so what this means is that IPOs, initial public offerings have been delayed. And so companies like Uber and Lyft were expected to IPO around this time of the year. Um, And so that's being delayed. Those will be pushed off. And so anyone interested in investing in those sorts of companies um, that were scheduled or planning to IPO in the coming months, they're going to have to wait in order to make their investment as well. Other enforcement actions and examination uh, of broker dealers and investment management companies and all different parts of the financial market are um, also on hold. It kind of affects all different sorts of people from an SEC perspective. You know, it, it affects the investor. It affects, it affects the regulator. It affects, you know, students like me who are trying to go to a legal residency and, you know, learn more about uh, securities regulation. So, yeah, that's just kind of like one very small snapshot of, of how these um, lapses and appropriations can affect a certain industry. But I think if it's helpful, I would be happy to kind of walk through the process of passing the federal budget. That would be yeah. helpful for you. Yeah, yeah, that'd be very helpful because a lot of people just think, oh, they, these numbers come from somewhere and they're just kind of pulled from these agencies and just go go on paper. It's like there's a lot more to it. Yeah, um, and it's interesting because, you know, the Constitution itself does not say how the federal budget should process should work, um, approval process should work. And the only thing that the Constitution says that kind of hints at it is that the power of the purse um, is delegated to Congress. Um, but it doesn't say how Congress should exercise this power. So um, what we have to turn to are these subsequent statutes that have been passed um, and that have shaped the budget process over time. There's a lot of ways that you can kind of organize how to go about like the process. I would say there's like five essential steps in in passing the appropriations process. And um, the first step is that the president submits a budget request to Congress. And so this is a document that says what the fiscal policies and priorities are for the president and for the executive branch. And it's basically like a suggestion of what Congress should do, um, how Congress should organize and uh, carve up the the budget it has to work with. And then once that gets, that's due usually the first week of uh, February, the first Monday of February. And once that gets sent to Congress, the House and the Senate pass budget resolutions. And so they do this independently. Um, They each kind of pass a document that says, this is our idea of you know, what the budget should look like, where the money should go. How long is the uh, budget for? Is it a one year? Is it a two year? So every year they have to pass a new one. And like I said, the fiscal year, it starts October 1st. So as soon as this government shutdown gets sorted out, it's going to have to start all over again anyways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. House and the Senate, they pass their own resolutions, a a document, you know, saying how they think the the budget should look. Um, And then there's a bunch of 
subcommittees in both the House and the Senate that mark up those those bills and those appropriation suggestions and um, say, oh, well, you know, I know you guys, you passed this, but we think you should do this and we want to change this here and that there. And after they mark it up, then the House and Senate vote on like the new marked up appropriations bills. When they do this, they also reconcile the differences between the House bill and the Senate bill so that by the end, they have one document that they send to the president to be signed. And so, like I was saying, for um, this year, for the fiscal year 2019, they passed two minibus appropriations bills. So they kind of like carved it out. They said, you know, we don't have it all figured out, but we can agree on this and we'll send this to the president to be signed. And so um, on September 21st, they passed the first one, which was that um, Energy, Water, Legislative Branch, and Military Construction and Veterans Affairs Appropriation Act. And then a few days later on September 28th, they passed the Department of Defense and Labor, Health and Human Services, and Education Appropriations Act. And both of those were signed by the president. And after the second minibus bill, they also did, um, they passed what's called a continuing resolution or CR. Sometimes you'll hear people refer to it as a CR. And basically that's like uh, a temporary bill that continues funding for all programs based on a fixed formula. That's why the the all of the agencies and uh, kept running until December 21st of this year, even though it was past October 1st when the fiscal year began, they had that temporary CR to fund everything everything through December 21st. With hopes that they can come to some agreement over that span of time, which hasn't happened like three times in a row now since October. Yeah. There's just a small portion of the budget that still needs to be passed. Um, Unfortunately, it affects a lot of people. Um, The Senate passed another CR to fund the government through February, and they passed that along to the president, and he did not sign that bill. And so then it was sent back to Congress to rework, so either the House or the Senate can kind of work on it and then send, once they come to agreement, send it back to the president. The clock ticked, and December 21st came around, and there was still no agreement on that final portion. Some people ask, you know, can Congress override a veto? by the president? And the answer is yes. Congress can override a veto by a two-thirds vote in both the Senate and the House, voting separately. Which is very problematic with our current uh, state of Congress with them split 50-50, basically. Yes, yes. I think it's important also to kind of focus on the fact that both the Senate and the House have to vote separately and pass the resolution by two thirds. So it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, so it's, that's it's the not, part that they can't figure out. It's not just two third. It's not just two thirds uh, majority of you know the House and the Senate combined. It's a two thirds majority of the Senate and a two thirds majority of the House. So it's it's it can be pretty difficult and rare. Right now, the, it seems that the House of Representatives have been working on a new CR continuing resolution. And but uh, that CR hasn't been voted on in the Senate Um, and the the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said that he's not going to entertain a vote on that until they the House sends him something that will pass both the Senate and that the president will sign. So that's where we're at. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for all that. That was, that was really helpful. And to anyone that isn't really familiar with what had gone on over the last few months, that was, that was a great wrap up on that. So thanks so much for doing that. And so how are you keeping busy here while you're waiting for the government to reopen? There are a bunch of different ways to observe the practice of law here in Washington, D.C. Probably the most exciting way is to uh, go and listen to and observe Supreme Court arguments. On Tuesday and Wednesday, I was able to go to the Supreme Court and listen to some of the arguments there, and that was uh, mind-blowing. I'm really happy that I had the opportunity to do that. And in fact, on Wednesday, there was um, arguments for a case. Um, and one of the attorneys was um, this Professor uh, Chemerinsky, who actually wrote our uh, constitutional law book uh, <laughs> that we study here at UNH Law. So it was kind of kind of cool to watch this like constitutional law legend argue in front of the Supreme Court. There are a bunch of different ways that uh, I've been trying to keep myself busy. And of course, I've been learning a lot about this appropriations process and how Congress goes about passing the appropriations. So do you have any other students down there that are being affected by the shutdown? Yeah, uh, to my knowledge, UNH Law has a few students who are being affected. Um, one other student here in D.C., and um, at least two other students that I know of. One student's at the International Trade Commission here in D.C., and then I know there are two students who are supposed to begin their residency at the U.S. Attorney's Office. And so um, it's not just me. Um, I was supposed to start a little bit earlier than most students um, on Monday, uh, but if the shutdown continues, unfortunately, it's going to continue to uh, affect our students here at the school. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about us by visiting law.unh.edu or following UNH Law on social media. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire.